Listeners, I'm back and I could not be more excited about the great guests and not so great advice coming your way in the coming weeks. Today's episode included. Before we get into it, a couple quick announcements. First, don't be shy. By asking the show for help, you're helping the show. So if you have questions you want me and my guests to answer, don't wait. Send them in now at don'tasktig.org or call 833-275-8444. That's 833-ASK-TIG-4. And leave me a voicemail if I don't pick up, but I probably will pick up. Second, you can also come see me on the road. I'll be in Jacksonville, Oregon, July 21st, Eugene, Oregon, July 22nd, Colorado Springs, September 25th, Breckenridge, Colorado, September 28th, Boulder, Colorado, September 29th, and I will be taping my next stand-up special in Brooklyn, New York on November 4th. There's an early and late show. I unfortunately had to move my taping date from June to November because of the Writers Guild of America writer strike. So come on out and check it out and go to tignotaro.com for all show links and ticket information. And now on with the show. Am I allowed to ask questions of you? No, you're not allowed. Oh, come on. <laughs> you can sneak a couple in, but we'll edit them out. Okay. <laughs> This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro. And our top story this hour is that thousands of podcast listeners are asking the wrong person for advice. My guest today is an award-winning journalist who made history as the first woman to ever solo anchor a network evening newscast. She has anchored CBS Evening News and NBC's Today Show. In addition to numerous ongoing media projects, she co-founded Stand Up to Cancer, which has raised more than $700 million for cancer research. Her best-selling memoir is titled Going There. Katie Couric, welcome to Don't Ask Tig. Hi, Tig. I'm so happy to be here and to talk with you. I've missed you. I haven't seen you or spoken with you in a very long time. I know. It's so good to see you as well. I, I think it's been probably, I would guess, five years since I've seen you. Definitely. And I remember we had a conversation based on a documentary I had done on food mm -hmm. and eating habits and how we could reform sort of what was the status quo for diet. Yeah. It was so interesting because you're someone, I think, who has really taken their health very seriously mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. And you wanted to spread the word to other people who sort of lived in small towns and mm -hmm. maybe didn't have the information they needed to improve their their health and lifestyle. I became vegan, me and my immediate family, we became vegan. And I think that a lot of people think that 
especially when you're a public figure and you live on the East Coast or West Coast and you say that you're plant-based, people will a lot of times push back and say, well, you're privileged and you have these opportunities to eat this way. And and my feeling is I would love to show people how they could do that where they live. Yeah. And you can do it in a way that is less expensive Absolutely. than going to get fast food, actually. Yeah. Now, Katie... This podcast is all about questionable advice, but you literally wrote the book on good advice. Right. I did. That's one of my books. It's called The Best Advice I Ever Got. Lessons from Extraordinary Lives. Yeah. And so is there anything you remember from that project that you'd like to share? I think Jimmy Kimmel said, always order the cheeseburger, Mm. (laughs) Uh, which would not be a good piece of advice for you, Tig. (laughs) No, but it's actually funny because looking back, I think I would have to probably remove some pages like Charlie Rose, Mm -hmm. Donald Trump. I don't think Harvey Weinstein is in there, Uh but there are some people who probably we wouldn't turn to advice some 20 years later. No. God, what a weird time capsule and how... Right? Yeah. How things change. I remember just even writing my book and it took me four years to write. And by the time I thought I was at the end, other chapters I had written previously no longer mattered to me. And I had to pull that out because it took me so long to write the book. Well, I think we're in the midst of such extraordinary social and cultural change, right? Yes, to say the very least. (laughs) I mean, I'm appearing on the new season of The Morning Show. Oh my gosh, what do you play? Or who do you play? John Hamm and I are on the new season, and I'm his right-hand man. Oh, that's awesome. I can't give too many details, but it's... I'm so excited, Tig. It was so fun. And it's obviously a fictional take on what was, for you, a real-life workplace. Right. Did you watch it? I did. I've watched both the first and second season. And, well, it was pretty weird, the Uh first season, obviously. I mean, to watch what I think was a pretty spot-on depiction of what must have happened to Matt. You know, I hadn't been on the show since 2006. Mm -hmm. And clearly, Steve Carell's character was Matt. Mm -hmm. And I thought some of that portrayal was really well done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, listen, it's very soapy, Mm -hmm. not particularly realistic in many ways. I think Brian Stelter, who wrote Top of the Morning, who wrote about morning shows but never has really worked on one, is an advisor, which is great. But I think they could have used somebody who actually was in that milieu mm-hmm. for a period of time. But, you know, it's it's very entertaining, and the characters are fun to watch. And I love Juliana Margulies, mm-hmm. and I think... Reese and Jennifer Aniston are fun. And what do you think um, fictional portrayals of news shows often get wrong or right? Well, I mean, I don't think you can necessarily... They're all different, right? The newsroom was different. Mm -hmm. The Mary Tyler Moore show was different. I mean, there have been a lot of them through the years. You know, I think 
because they're dramas and they can't get all the things right. I feel like the morning show didn't quite get how much fun it is and the camaraderie you have actually on the floor of a morning show with the stage managers and the cameras moving around and the almost familial atmosphere that exists. There's a lot of energy pulsating through the studio. To Hmm. me, it didn't capture that very well. Well, I'm going to pass along that note (laughs) (laughs) or a link to this episode. free. And it's interesting because I guess some people think Jennifer Aniston is portraying me, but I think she's obviously an amalgamation of a lot of different women. You know, Mm -hmm. she's an interesting character and we do have some parallels. She leaves and writes her book and I thought Mm -hmm. that was sort of strange and I think yeah. she has an affectionate, apparently a more than affectionate relationship with her co-anchor, clearly. Yeah. So that was interesting, too, which if it was partially me, I don't think they got the dynamic between Matt and me quite right. But mm-hmm. as I said, I'm sure it's not necessarily me, but that's what some people have asked me about. Like, is that you? Of course. And it would be fun to talk to the writers. I volunteered to help them. When the show was starting, but Mm -hmm. they did not take me up on my offer (laughs) tick. That's actually surprising. I think, you know, who knows? You know, it's a a lot of fictionalized storytelling, and maybe they didn't want me to pour water on ideas that I think would never happen. Yeah. We were talking briefly before we started recording about our connection also through the experience in the cancer community. I mean, first of all, you co-founded Stand Up to Cancer. And last year, you revealed that you yourself were diagnosed with breast cancer. You know, it was kind of a surreal experience. I have had so much loss in my life and a lot of cancer in my life with my Mm -hmm. friends and family that Mm -hmm. I think I wrote an essay about it, and I think it was called Why Not Me? You know, I just learned that a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer every two minutes in this country. One in eight women will eventually be diagnosed with the disease. And I think for me, Tig, honestly, I was so grateful and slightly guilty because I have access to the best medical care there is the Mm -hmm. most state-of-the-art technology. Mm -hmm. And I was so grateful that it was diagnosed at a stage where it's not only treatable but curable. And Mm -hmm. 45% of women 40 and over, I have dense breasts, and mammograms Mm -hmm. are not sufficient for women with dense breasts. Mm -hmm. And so I had a lumpectomy and radiation, I'm doing well. And, um, you know, now I'm really focused on trying to get legislation passed that will require insurance companies to pay for screening ultrasounds and MRIs for women like me for whom mammograms are not sufficient. Mm -hmm. It's really unacceptable that only women with resources have access to the screening that has the potential to save their lives. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Now, going back to media, Mm -hmm. we get a lot of questions on the show about healthy consumption. Mm -hmm. What's your balance and how do you feel about 
healthy media consumption? I feel that it's very important, and I feel that I have a very unhealthy media diet. How is that? I'm just on my phone too much. I'm constantly reading articles. There's mm-hmm. just an unlimited number of interesting things to read. And I just end up spending an hour in bed reading. I spend yeah. an inordinate amount of time on my phone. And that can't be good for you. Yeah. I was just talking to um, a friend of mine this morning, and he was saying he got some sort of lockbox that he puts his phone in and locks it for eight hours. And so he can't even wow. get to it. If, and I was like, wow, that's intense. But what's crazy about reading online is that there's always another link right? you can click on to go somewhere else. And so I stopped reading the news a couple of years ago now. I was like news crazed. Yeah. Absolutely out of my mind. Since I have a media company, that would be sort of hard for me to do. <laughs> of course. But I do think about the good old days, which were good mm-hmm. in some ways and not good in others. But I think about the fact that You'd listen to the news on the radio in the morning. We did on our kitchen table growing up in Virginia. Or my dad and mom would read the Washington Post. And Mm -hmm. then you would go about your day and really not know anything until that night if you watched the evening news. And I don't even think we as a family gathered around the television and watched the evening news. So it was just such a healthier existence when you weren't you know, assaulted by information 24-7. And we've gotten so addicted to our phones because they do produce dopamine and make us feel better and give us this weird positive reinforcement when we get likes on our Instagram or people Mm. comment and say how great we are. And it's really, it's a serious problem. Of course, I'm sure you've read all this stuff from the Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, about kids and social media, about smartphones that are making us dumber. And Mm -hmm. it's a real issue. But wasn't it great when you could just be untethered from this constant influx of news? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I've heard that the best thing to do is to take all alerts off of your phone, that you should go seek it out rather than have it come at you. I'm going to do that. I don't have that many alerts in place. I just kind of, I always check Apple News and sort of, Mm -hmm. I don't even peruse Twitter that much anymore. I did a, a documentary series and one of the episodes was on tech addiction and I interviewed Tristan Harris, who you would love. He's a former Google employee who quit and has been warning about the dangers of, mm-hmm. of, of social AI. media. Well, now mm-hmm. AI, but prior yeah. to that, really social media and tech addiction. And he said, if you turn your screen to black and white, it makes it a lot less appealing, which oh. I thought was really interesting, too. Of course, I haven't done that, but that's something <laughs> else you can do to kind of not constantly go to your phone. But, you know, even if your phone is on a table near you, it distracts you. And I don't know about you, Tig, but well, you're, you're much better about it now. But if I'm doing a task, I'll check my phone that interrupts deep thinking, because it takes about Mm -hmm. 30 minutes to get into a a state of deep thought. And the constant interruption from the phone keeps you from really doing that. So, I mean, it's such an amazing development and such a terrible one all at once. 
That's the truth. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> it's yes, it's wonderful and terrible. But that's great advice. Perfect for a, an advice show as far as putting it to black and, and white. And leaving it out of your bedroom. So I think yes. I read Jennifer Aniston doesn't have her phone in her bedroom. So, And I think she waits 30 minutes before looking at it in the morning when she wakes up, which I also think is a really good thing to try to do. I'm going to ask her about yeah, that. Yeah, ask her about it. It could be see fa- if she's telling it could the truth be fake about news, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, are you ready to uh, get into listener questions? Yeah, sure. Our first question is about finding your voice at work. Claire writes, I often receive feedback at work that I speak too quietly and am hard to hear. As a woman in a manual labor job that is male-dominated, I am reluctant to change any aspect of myself to better fit in. However, I also care about doing a good job. And if I can make a change that helps make work easier for everyone, then I'm happy to do so. Is it up to me to speak louder or is it up to my coworkers to listen better? I think it's up to her to speak louder as somebody who's losing her hearing a little bit. I think especially if she works in a noisy work environment, which sounds like she may, I'm sure that maybe the listening skills could be improved. But until they are, I think she needs to project, speak up, and I think people might mistake her soft-spoken manner for weakness. So I do think she needs to speak up and make sure her voice is heard. What do you think, Tig? Well, I was really focusing on the manual labor job because I did think, what is this? And that does sound like it could be pretty loud. And also, it could be so loud that people have lost their hearing at that type of job. So I would say, especially for any sort of safety concerns, I would make sure that I'm being heard and that everybody's, everyone's clear about what's going on. And I on. feel like that's not something that she should feel bad about accommodating. Mm-hmm. She's not being asked to not talk so much or to not have a seat at the table or to wear something different or to change something about herself. I think people want to hear and maybe she should see that as a good sign. Yeah, it also seems like if there's more than one person, if it's numerous people that are bringing this point up, that there might be something to it. But Claire, I mean, that's just what Katie and I think. Hope it helps. And let's take a break, and then we'll get back to listener questions. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. You can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Sephora, and Zappos. And even stack deals on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.
And we're back. Katie, this next question comes from a listener who feels singled out because of their relationship. Medina writes, I'm a woman in a relationship with a man. My best friend is a woman married to another woman. Oftentimes when my friend plans events or trips, she invites me but says it's girls only. Her other invited friends are all single straight women or lesbian couples. So this feels like a direct exclusion of my boyfriend, and he has shared that he feels that way as well. I'm not against girls-only events, but this happens fairly frequently, and I can't help but feel slighted. How should I approach this with my friend who is fairly sensitive? I, you know, it's funny because I'm in this situation often in that when there are girls-only events, dinners, parties, Stephanie and I both (laughs) get invited and we love it because we're like, Oh, amazing. You know, we (laughs) both get to go. And then all of a a lot of our friends, husbands and boyfriends, not that we don't like them, but we don't at all miss out. It's interesting because I had drinks with a gay couple last night, two women, Mm -hmm. and they were talking about going out with other couples. Mm -hmm. And they said, it's interesting when we go out with straight couples, they never really invite us as another couple. And I said, that's so interesting. Why do you think that is? And they said, well, I think it's because, and you do notice this, like in a straight couple, oftentimes the men pair off, right? And they talk about manly things while the women are sort of talking. And they said they thought it was because the male and the other couple often wants to have another guy they can talk to, and the guy doesn't necessarily want to go out with three women. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I would say to Medina, first of all, she doesn't have to go to all the girls' nights, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And maybe she could just say to her friends, you know, sometimes when you have couples, I feel like I'd like to bring Joe. Can Mm -hmm. we do something with couples sometimes? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good Meet me in the middle right. place. I'm very direct, and I would just do mm-hmm. it in a nice kind of non-confrontational way and just say, you know, sometimes I wish that Joe could come to these events. Do you think we could do one with couples and he could be included? I would love that. And he sometimes feels left out, and I don't want him to feel that way. <laughs> I love it. Medina, just between us girls, that's what we think. All right. Katie. Do you have any tattoos? This is related to our next question. I do not. I have one dot on the inside of my knee, and it's from my brother throwing a ballpoint pen at me in sixth grade, and it's stuck. I pulled it out, and I always tell people, if I ever go missing and they ask if I have a tattoo, tell them to look for the dot on the inside of my knee. That's so funny. Actually, I do have tattoos from my radiation, little dots. And I'm mm-hmm. such a moron, Tig, because I have this dot on my back, and my back, I, I, I have very dry skin, and I love having my back scratched. Like, that's my thing. <laughs> okay, good to know. <laughs> TMI. But I, okay. a friend of mine said, oh, you have a little dot back here. And I was like, oh, no, I should go to the dermatologist. So I went to my dermatologist, who I love, and I said, what is that? And she ended up removing it. It was the friggin' tattoo from my radiation. Oh. <laughs> so I, 
I have one less tattoo, <laughs> but I am I'm pretty anti tattoos. Uh-huh. I, I yeah, don't mean I'm, to sound judgmental. My daughter has two under her armpit. She has a Joan Didion quotation. And my other daughter got one because she got married a year and a half ago, and she has her wedding date on the inside of her wrist, which I'm just very anti-tattoo. Hmm. Were you upset when they got their tattoos? I mean, not really, just because, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're grown women. But yeah. I did tell them, please don't get any more. Yeah, I'm gearing myself up for our sons to... Because it's just such a thing. Uh, Stephanie and I, we don't have tattoos. It is but such a thing. It, it is. And I, I only imagine it's now just part of that's how I remember years ago, it used to be like, oh, you can't get a tattoo. What? You're going to have a tattoo when you're 80? And it's like, yeah, 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 people are, they're going to have sleeves. And so I'm gearing up for our, our tatted little boys. I'd like you to discourage them from doing that, Tig. I'm a holdout. <laughs> well, I'll have to talk to Stephanie. We're we're trying to let them, encourage them to be exactly who they are, do what they want to do. To a keep point. Themselves safe. To a point. To a point. Keep themselves safe. Yeah. But to be who they are. The, the reason I was asking is, again, it's related to this question. It was sent in from okay. Jen. Jen writes, Tig, I was diagnosed last year with breast cancer. I've since finished chemo and had a double mastectomy with reconstruction. On the upcoming anniversary of my mammogram, I want to get a tattoo. What should I get? That's a highly personal decision, don't you think, Tig? Well, a lot of this stuff is highly personal that people write in about. I mean, the show's called Don't Ask Tig. You have to always remember that. It's like, this isn't my place. I, I, I'm a comedian. I, I don't know. Um, but if you got any tattoo... Katie, what would it be? Well, I always thought if I got any tattoo, I would get JPM because my first husband was John Paul Monahan. My current husband and hopefully last husband is John Paul Bolner. What? And my dad was John Martin Couric. So the JM, JPM, JPM. Well, this is J. Jen yeah. is a J. yeah. Let me ask you, because I feel like Jen has more in common with your situation than she does with mine in terms of what she went through. Well, I didn't get reconstruction. Okay, but I mean the double mastectomy, right? Yeah, I I got the double mastectomy. Um, I'm a big fan of the singer Chrissy Hind from The Pretenders. And I used to want her face on my upper arm. But I don't think I want that anymore. What should Jen get? I'm feeling like a J. I was just trying to connect it with what you maybe would have wanted, but maybe that doesn't go anywhere. A date? The day she was finished? Yeah, or even the day it started. Here's the thing. I was diagnosed July 25th, and people often think that that's a hard day for me. And it was actually one of the best days of my life because it was caught. And I was able to shift the trajectory. And so to me, that's one of the most important days that came along. So I guess that's what I get to is if I were to get a tattoo, I might put that on me as a reminder of how things can go 
positively, even if it seems hard, Mm -hmm. that you can make a shift, you can turn things around, just as some sort of inspiration for myself to remember that it was so scary, but it became so positive. That's a good idea. What about just something like a word like life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, life, life. Jen, either one. You can go with Katie's life or mine, whatever your diagnosis date was. I think either can work, but it is personal. We did our best. Send us a photo of the tattoo. Katie and I will be wondering about it until then, I think. I wish you the best, Jen. Katie, we're we're nearing the end of the show, but I need your help with one more thing, if that's okay. Of course. It's a segment called Advice of Yesteryear. When Jerry brags about taking Ginny out, he learns that she dates all the boys. So as we see now, menstruation is just one routine step in a normal and natural cycle. How do you choose a date? Well, one thing you can consider is look. I did everything you said, but my boss still hasn't asked me to lunch. On Advice of Yesteryear, we take a person's problem that they sent to an advice columnist long ago and try to give a better response. The question today was sent to advice columnist Dorothy Dix in July 1930. Whoa. Julio writes, I am a young man who has lived a very gay life. Eight months ago, I met a beautiful, wonderful girl, not of the dancing hall, wild woman crowd that I had been running with, but a noble, splendid woman. (laughs) We fell in love with each other, and she straightened me out. I had been conceited, vain, lazy, and didn't care how I made money. But this girl made me see what a worthless fellow was, and I went to work, and we were very happy. Last week, a fellow invited me to a party, and I went back to the old crowd. I got drunk and had a wonderful time. Well, since this party, I have had no peace of mind. I love dancing and flattery and the company of wild girls, but I love my fine, pure girl, too. What shall I do? If I marry her, do you think I will settle down and be content with a quiet life? Julio. (laughs) That is so funny. And what's so crazy about this question is his opening line of how he's a young man who's lived a very gay life. I know. And that is so confusing because then he goes on to say, she straightened me out. So when I was reading this, I was like, what is happening? Is this guy bi? Is this, what is he doing? Well, gay used to be, you know, my, I was going to be named gay after my great uncle Gaylord, who was an Episcopal minister. And I'm glad my parents chose Catherine because I think it would have not really aged well. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Gay Couric. But yeah. I did go to school with two gays. One was Gay Outlaw, and <laughs> one was... T- gay Outlaw? Yeah. Gay Outlaw. Yeah, that was her name. Both very lovely women. And who was the other gay? Gay Blue. <laughs> yeah. And it's so B-L-U-E. funny to hear you... It's funny to hear you say, I went to school with two gays. <laughs> it just sounds very... <laughs> Limited. <laughs> like, like, yeah, like you, you've just not really been involved I've, in the rest I of the... I haven't been out in the world. <laughs> yeah. I've had a very sheltered life. 
What would be your advice to Julio? I think Julio needs to find a fun gal. Mm-hmm. Like, what did he say? I enjoy the company of wild women. What did he say? Dancing hall, wild women crowd. Yeah. Dancing Julio's hall. Julio's going to get bored with his noble girlfriend. And I would say he's destined to disappoint her and mm-hmm. perhaps even cheat on her, I oh. dare say. A million percent. So I think Julio needs to kind of maybe split the difference between the wild dance hall girls and his noble whatever who straightened him out. (laughs) I think he needs to go with a woman who can swing both ways. Yes. A bisexual. (laughs) (laughs) That would blow his mind. Do you want to hear Dorothy Dix's advice? Okay. No, I don't. And I think under the circumstances, you would be doing the girl a great injustice to marry her. The trouble with men is that they make the mistake of thinking that matrimony is a sort of cure-all for whatever weakness ails them. The things you enjoy doing before marriage, you will enjoy doing after marriage. But then you have a wife to consider, and you will make her very miserable if you do the things of which she does not approve." No man has a right to get married until he is ready to settle down, until he is done with dance halls and dance hall girls, until the very sight of a wild oat fills him with loathing, until a home and a good woman look better to him than anything else on earth. You can't run with the hare and the hounds at the same time, Julio. You can't have the love and honor and respect of a good woman and the blandishments of bad ones. You have to choose between them. Don't marry until you make up your mind which one you really want. So... I mean, Dorothy, good advice. Yeah. That's basically what we said. Yeah. It's not typical Dorothy Dix advice. She's usually so hardcore, so offensive, so off, just like, you know, give your husband what he wants. He's been working all day, that kind of vibe. Yeah. (laughs) Get back to folding laundry. Maribel Morgan ish, right? The happy homemaker, whatever she was. Yeah. I would say this is the best Dorothy Dix advice I've heard. I like the first line, too, where people expect, what did she say again, Tig? Um, The trouble with men is that they make the mistake of thinking that matrimony is a sort of cure-all for whatever weakness ails them. I think that's interesting, right? They're trying Mm -hmm. to fix themselves or have someone complete them, where we know the only person that can complete you is you. That is right. Great advice, Katie Couric. Now, that's the end of the show. Thank you so much for taking that the time. That was so fast, Tig. I know. It just flies right by. By the way, you have very nice teeth. <laughs> Thank you. I'm married, Katie. No, I'm not hitting I, on you, Tig. Yes, I know what's happening here. You have a great laugh and smile and teeth, but I'm not going to bring that up on this podcast. Well, they look so white and straight. They're not. I'm, they're straight, and they're naturally straight. Did you ever have um, braces? No. Wow. No. But if you get close up, you'll see that I, I have some fine-tuning I could be doing to I'll my face and I'll just admire them from afar, Tig. Yeah, through Zoom. <laughs> We had talked about getting a plant-based meal one time. And if we actually do that, you can see the actual chompers <laughs> in close action. up. Mm-hmm. 
Do you have anything that you would like to mention? Oh, well, gosh, while we're on the subject, I would love people to sign up for my newsletter. We have a great team of writers who tell people sort of what's happening in the world. If you know, you're tuning out the news like you are, Tig. You could just look at our newsletter once a day and be done with it. Go to katiekirk.com. And of course, I have a podcast called Next Question, which I really enjoy doing. They can follow me on social media because I use social media to do what I used to do on television, which is Mm -hmm. hopefully help people understand what's going on in the world, give them some perspective. And then I throw in some of the dahlias from my garden for good measure. Amazing. Well, that's awesome. I, uh, I'll have to check out your newsletter yeah. in small doses. In small doses. Maybe just once a week or something, Tig. That's right. Throw me a bone. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for throwing me a bone and being on the show. Of course. It's great to see great you. Great to see you too, Tig. Okay. Bye, bye Tig. Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette and Shana Deloria. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Alex Simpson. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Our theme music is Friend in Tig by Edie Brickell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Brickell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavadi, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky. stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together... (laughs) 
We were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. (laughs) 